Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Monday, February 14th, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. You can follow me intro week on LinkedIn by just following Herb Morgan. Uh, you can also subscribe to this either via email, which comes with slides, graphs, and charts, or with podcast, which is audio only. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears, Making the Complex and Complicated Simple and Sensical. Uh, everything you're about to see and or hear is designed for use with either investors or financial advisors. Of course, each are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Everything is purely for informational purposes only. Its accuracy, adequacy, or completeness cannot be guaranteed. We had a mixed week in equity prices last week, as you can see. S&P 500 big cap tech dominated index down about 1.8%. Big cap tech is pretty sensitive to increases in interest rates, now down a little over 7% for the year. Of course, after the big massive gain of uh, 20 and 21, uh, this is to be expected in any normal trading environment. There's always a catalyst though, and this time the catalyst seems to be the prospect for higher interest rates. And a lot of discussion last week about potentially a 50 basis point hike at the March 16th meeting. And then also some rumors and some uh, really honestly fake news articles that there was an emergency Fed meeting. Thank you for all of you who sent me that uh, copy of the fake news story about an emergency Fed meeting that was supposed to take place today on Monday the 14th. Um, there is a lot of inaccurate uh, financial news. It's not, it's satire many times and, and sometimes it's just false um, and uh, very controversial designed to get people to make donations on web pages. And I encourage everybody to uh, do their best to sift through what is real uh, and what is not verifying information, trying to verify information on multiple websites uh, with credible URLs and those that aren't necessarily asking for money and then a normal subscription obviously something like the Wall Street Journal is very credible in terms of its data and its content. Anyway, uh, with that warning, we'll keep moving on. We did have uh, positive gains mid and small cap developed international and emerging markets kind of the big winner and the big winner year to date. It's only three quarters of a percent, but up is up. Bonds continue lower. I think they've kind of run their sell off course for the short run. Uh, the 10-year yield has got, gotten over 2% last week. We had a 25 basis point one-day jump in the two-year yield, long-dated U.S. Treasury index down 7 for the year, um, even with the high inflation print. And that is the focus of today's uh, talk and today's, uh, this week's commentary is going to be inflation. I still think uh, interest rates are, are going higher, but I don't think there's going to be this massive um, hyperinflation. And I know we had a rough print last week, I'm going to get to it in a minute, but also a number of you are sending me articles uh, that you may have seen or heard um, about hyperinflation. That's really just almost not possible in the United States, given our structural uh, setup and the legal requirement for the Fed to act uh, to contain inflationary pressures. It is a statutory requirement um, in the separation of our executive and legislative branch from the ability to influence monetary policy. Uh, it is a unique American construct. 
the Bank of England is similar, the ECB is similar. Um, and so we don't think there's any possibility of the runaway hyperinflation in some of the uh, uh, more flamboyant articles that have been uh, sent to me. So anyway, uh, consumer credit rose about 19 billion in December, it was a little bit below expectations on top of a huge $38 billion jump in November. Uh, Non-revolving up about two, uh, that was a much slower number than the prior. Non-revolving is that what I call serious purchases, you know, paid over time, big ticket items, usually different than the revolving, which is just your charges at the store that you maybe generally pay off every single month. Um, the National Federation of Business Optimism Index fell again, uh, and it was below expectations. Uh, the, con the consumer indices like Michigan uh, of all are also falling, and it all has to do with, of course, inflation. Uh, we all are feeling that now. Um, in last month's report from NFIB, it was the highest number ever of small businesses that, were, that had reported that they had raised prices. They reported they had done that due to high material costs, higher labor costs. And 61% also said, well, we passed a lot of that on. We increased our selling prices. That's the highest percentage since 1986. Yet, and I'm going to get to this more when I talk about earnings, um, inflation still remains a primary concern for businesses, for consumers, for everybody. Um, inventories took a big jump higher, uh, wholesale inventories last month, 2.2% beating expectations. And you know, normally inventories kind of go up and they go down. And when you see inventories building up huge like this, it, you know, maybe over the last 50 years, every time that's happened, you're saying, uh-oh, sales aren't coming out the back end and we're worried then they'll have to slow down production to let the sales catch up with the buildup in inventories. That is absolutely not the case here. The inventory to sales ratio is at 1.25. And you can see this is a date, this is only going back to 2015, but normally you know, a healthy ratio is around you know, 1.3, 1.35. So if anything, we're sort of below that average. You can see a range here of 1.65 down to about 1.2. So sales are therefore coming out pretty darn fast. The fact that it's rising says we're starting to catch up. This is the supply chain issue catching up. We're not caught up by any stretch of the imagination. And of course, part of that supply chain issue is driving some of the inflationary pressures. Okay, let's talk about uh, initial claims for unemployment. Low twos, we all know, Herb says, low twos, very good, very strong labor market. Um, Regardless of, of anything else going on, weekly claims are at 223. Uh, there is no lack of aggregate demand in the economy. Continuing claims are very low as well at 1.6 million. Um, so that's very good. Back to sentiment for a second. I showed you NFIB small business sentiment. This is consumer sentiment. It comes out monthly from uh, the University of Michigan. Current conditions fell from 72 to about 69 uh, that's, that was, you know, again, well below expectations here. You can see 62 versus 67 estimate, worst since October of 2011. Um, not good. Why? Again, inflation. Everything from food, uh, gasoline is really hitting Americans uh, hard, and therefore they're, they're not quite as optimistic about the economy. Speaking of which, we do have a midterm election. And when consumer sentiment is falling, uh, coming into a midterm election, the party who has the presidency in the House 
uh, almost always will be expected to lose significant number of seats. And so if that is the case, we still have a ways to go. So this is early, but in November, if that's the case, um, then you will have a market that will say, okay, we now have a mixed, mixed um, government, meaning one party has the presidency, another party has the House, and then Senate is 50-50 right now, it could go either way. If you do have it mixed, it means there's not any major legislative changes, which by the way, markets tend to prefer without any, that means because there's no expected changes, there's less uncertainty, markets prefer environments with less uncertainty. But the elephant in the room, is the uncertainty around this guy, consumer price inflation. Whether you measure it by the CPI or as the Fed does, the core PCE index, this number was just plain bad. Uh, the CPI rose six tenths of a percent, second straight months. It is, that is not a typo. That's a seven and a half percent year over year uh, inflation. And the core CPI, which is more important here, uh, because it backs out the volatile food and energy. Yes, food and energy are, are important, but they also come down a lot too. Um, so that's up 6% year over year. That was not a good report, and it is concerning um, to many economists, yours, yours truly included. To be fair, many economists who are also very smart, very talented, and very caring at places like the Federal Reserve, they believe that as the supply chain issues dwindle, and the labor market issues subside, that they believe this will start to moderate. I also believe it will moderate. I just believe they've waited a little too long. They should have been more aggressive uh, in, in normalizing rates, not hiking, not tightening. It is a hike to normalize, but I, you know what I mean? Not hiking beyond where we should be or where the market would naturally place us. This high CPI reflects much higher prices for goods like food and energy versus pre-pandemic. And because food and energy, as I mentioned, are volatile, those start to come down and roll over, then you could see the, P the CPI and the PPI start to roll over. Now we've got a geopolitical event with Russia lined up to invade Ukraine. That is expected to be, if it happens, and it's, more, it's getting more and more likely, that will likely hit energy prices hard to the upside. Um, and again, Russia's an energy producing country. Russia will be cut off from the rest of the world. Their customers will be forbidden to do business with them by the United States, as an example. That will drive up energy prices even further. That CPI uh, was also the broadest print since the pandemic, meaning the most of the components, 150 categories within the CPI, all showed gains. And so those that had been lagging and sort of resisting the inflationary pressure were medical services, medical care, and rents. Those both showed big gains last month. So that's concerning to us. Uh, as of yet, it hasn't hurt earnings and corporate profits. And because the labor market's so tight, uh, wages are rising uh, in, in sympathy with the higher CPI for the most part. But inflation expectations, which had really peaked, you can see here back in say November, and we're, we're starting to come down. The blue line uh, here is the two year inflation um, break even. The orange is the five and the gray here is the 10. 10 year inflation expectations are still anchored. And remember the Fed's goal is to get this at 2%. So they're, they're looking at that, you know, taking the long-term view. Uh, they're also looking at the five. They're also looking at the two, and that jump in the two last week 
was um, what caused the rockiness in the equity markets. We don't need uh, this level of inflation. So uh, taking a look here, this is the yield curve, right? So interesting, the brown line was the curve a week ago, you know, steep and normalized. Then the brutal inflation print and the yields just jump, right? You've got the two-year yield, the one-year yield, the three, even the 10 got to over 2% last week. Now you look here, and I threw onto this graph as I threw on uh, January 1 of 2020. That's right before the pandemic began. So on the long end, what you see down here at 30-year and 20-year, we're not far off. In fact, we're even higher on the 20-year yields. So really the move that's going to come this year, we think, and most people believe, is going to come in the short end. As the Fed normalizes, takes the accommodation out of the system, and if inflation comes back down, these, these 10, these 15, these 10, 15, 20, and 30s could stay low where they are. The concern though is if those inflation prints continue high and our expectations become unanchored and go higher, then the Fed will have failed and it will be considered probably the biggest policy mistake in decades. So one of the other things I'd like to look at to know whether or not this is going to affect earnings, because you know, if inputs go up a little bit and then you could raise your prices and corporate profits are still good, as an investor, we're, we're happy, we're okay. So if I take the CPI and I subtract out the PPI, you get a spread. When that spread gets negative, that's not a good thing for corporate earnings. But if you also go back, it may be baked into prices already of stocks and you go back to say 12, 31 of 08, things were pretty darn bad. And of course, if you had bought stocks in that late 08, early 09 timeframe, you have uh, done extremely well. Could this get worse? Yeah, it really could, but we're in earnings season now for the fourth quarter and it hasn't hurt yet. We've got uh, 359 names of printed, have, uh, reported. Uh, it's about 80% of the market cap, 72% of the names in there. Uh, they're talking about costs and they're guiding lower for the first quarter, but so far they've been able to pass it through. The big concern on every earnings call right now is what's going to happen to our margins here in the next quarter uh, and in the next year. So we're watching it just super closely. Um, we need to see uh, those inflation numbers start to turn. I've mentioned on previous weeks that I think we were at peak inflation probably in December or January. Uh, I think I said December is before we had the January print. January could be the peak. I do think though there's a lot of risk to the upside particularly with this situation over in uh, with Russia and the Ukraine. In terms of economic data this week, today we didn't really really have anything. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody, by the way. PPI, whether or not that follows up with the brutal CPI of last week is to be determined tomorrow. That's an important number. Uh, if we get a little relief, great, markets might rally. I don't think we're going to get relief. Moving down here, the FOMC minutes will be released from the January meeting, and that'll give us a hint as to where some of the people are related to the possibility of a 50 basis point hike. We did have one governor saying, we're gonna have a 50 basis point hike uh, sometime before this summer. I do think that there is a 50% chance of a 50 basis point hike uh, on March 16th. And I think there's a 100% chance of a 25 basis point at least hike. And I don't think there's going to be a, an intra-meeting hike that would show that the Fed is panicked. They will not do that. Ignore those new stories. 
please ignore those news stories. And thank you for tuning in. As always, don't forget to tweet, LinkedIn, everything you can possibly do. We thank you very much, and I will see you again next week.